Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back, episode 28 of the Spider Scoop podcast. As always, I'm your host, Noah Goldberg with ESPN Richmond. I'm joined by my struggling Charlotte Hornets fan who is encouraged by Lamella Ball's recent double double. And he also writes about the Spiders for a 10 talk, and that's Austin Daisy. And as always, I'm also joined by Nick Sherrod. He has scored over a thousand points in his career at the University of Richmond, led the Atlantic 10 in three point percentage a season ago. Guys, some good things, some bad things at the end of the day. We've got a win, Spider win over a top 60 Ken Palm opponent, a loyal Chicago team that. With A.J. Green hurt for Northern Iowa, this team will probably win the Missouri Valley Conference, or at least will be favored to. Another quality resume booster, one game left against Hofstra in the non-conference. I missed the first 12 minutes of the first half. Shout out ESPN Plus for being hot garbage. Guys, instant reactions, what do we think? Uh, hey, I mean, you know, that was, as soon as I saw the game was being played in the convention center, everything just kind of, it was convention center basketball. Like, you know, obviously, um, if you don't have NBC Sports Washington, there was that hassle of, like you said, with ESPN Plus. But um, as a whole, man, that first half, again, it it was exciting. I mean, it was it was a flawless first half of basketball. We just talked the other day about how we would love to see Blake get aggressive and attack the rim. He did just that. He probably had his best game as a spider tonight, in my opinion, overall. Um, and the same thing with Gilliard. We were worried about Gilliard kind of, you know, breaking that slump. He came out today. He attacked the rim. He was aggressive. And with both of them aggressive, it's almost like they were more concerned about them driving than the three-point game opened up for both of them. So, as a whole, first half, very satisfied. Second half, Leola caught fire. I mean, we couldn't expect them to shoot that cold for that long. But, again, veteran team pulls out in the end. Yeah, for sure. Um, I thought the first half was, was – about as good as basketball as, as we could have played. Um, I was really impressed by the ball pressure. I've been, I've been looking for us to pick up a little bit more with our guards. I think that we kind of smelled that they weren't the strongest ball handlers in the, in the first half, especially. And we really got after them. I was impressed by that. I just think in the second half, we didn't match their intensity. I think that was the biggest thing that I noticed. I think they, they came out really passionate and really intense and really into the game. I think we kind of, uh, our, our intensity shifted and it wasn't the same. And I think that's just something that you have to figure out as the season goes on, how to play 40 minutes of a consistent, uh, aggressive basketball. Because, again, they raised their level of intensity, and we didn't match that. And we we were playing like we were in the 20. They were playing like they were on a, like they were up. And I think that's just something that you have to figure out. But like you guys said, win is a win. And uh, on to the next one. Yeah, and and you touch on the main, the main takeaway and the main point from that is that it's now pretty much every game, I mean, aside from West Virginia, where it was pretty much end-to-end, that this team is just not it's just streaky i mean this team just gets hot defensively offensively sometimes blake and gilly are just causing havoc and, and at other times it looks like Braden norris is just has four feet of room anytime he gets an on-ball screen i mean basic basketball basic pick and roll so i'm not really sure what whether that's a mental thing or, or a physical thing it seems like it like you said i mean it's an energy level because you see them do it um, so, so I'm not really sure what the answer is there. And, and after seven games, I don't know if they do either, but the encouraging thing, you know, as we've all said, right at the end of the day, you're six and one, you just picked up a really high quality win. Now you probably have an easy game against Hofstra. Then you get eight days off. So, so they're in a great spot to be in right now. Um, you have a really solid, obviously this team is a, at, 
this moment a lock for an at-large bid. Um, pretty good chance to to get back in the rankings on Monday. What do you guys think about um, you know San Diego State 18th? Uh, they lost to BYU tonight. How do you guys feel about jumping back in the top 25 uh, on Monday? Yeah, no, I, I mean I definitely see it as a strong possibility, especially. You know, the West Virginia loss weighed heavy at the time, but I think people are now starting to see that they're probably a top five team in the country. So that loss isn't really going to hold us back. Um, and honestly, I tweeted in the game, that could have been the best thing that happens to this team this season was to play a team of that caliber, you know, get knocked around, learn from it. And now, you know, two solid wins, both, I guess, on the road technically. Um, no, I could definitely see them back in the top 25. Do I really want them in the top 25? It sounds weird, but no, because it kind of gives you that, you know, like maybe you said before, it gives them that that target on their back more than they already have. But if we're going to be good, we got to learn to play with that number in front of our name. Austin, come in with a hot takes on the first Friday 10 of the year right there. <laughs> she doesn't want to be in the top 25. All right. All right, coward. I like that one. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> So we do have some stuff to break down from this game. Like we said, it was a 20-point lead at one point. Um, and, and, and another interesting box score, um, you know, I, I hope Grant Golden doesn't think I'm hating on him because, once again, I'm going to preface it with, you know, what the guy have tonight. He had 14, 7 rebounds and, and 7 or 9 from the field. But and, and the reason I keep harping on him is not that he's playing horribly across the board because he's not, but it's just what makes Grant Golden Grant Golden is, like we said, right? It's the passing. It's, it's the point forward aspect. Eight turnovers tonight. And it's not just that he's turning it over. It's the way he's doing it. Like he's not just getting stripped in the post and, and trying to go baseline and losing the ball. He's throwing a lot of like back doors where again, it's, it's predetermined. And I know Nick, like you've said it, I get that those are predetermined plays very often, but even if it's predetermined, like if you see that it's obviously not there, you try to hold up on it. And it seems like some of these are just really simple reads. Um, he had that one. I want to say it was Blake or Gilly in the corner miscommunication looks like they're going to cut back and they end up cutting baseline and, and he just throws it to nobody. Um, is it the yips? Do you guys, is he just not seeing the court? Well, like, I, I don't know what the answer is, but it seems like he's just not, not seeing the lanes very well for about a week and a half now. I mean, yeah, I think that uh, between this game and West Virginia, I know Loyola especially, they did uh Crutwig and the bigs that were guarding him. They did an especially good job of having their hands out. So I think there's a lot of passes that 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 were open, but uh, one of the things that they te- one of the first things they teach you on defense is to make the vision of the passer um, not as clear as he wants it to be. So I think they did a really good job of scouting that. Uh, they got their hands on a lot of passes that were open. Um, so I think that's just again Reed. I think he is having a little bit of trouble. I think there there's more attention on him as a passer than I think there usually is. Mm. Um, so I think that's just an adjustment that he has to make. Um, especially in the post, because a lot of his turnovers, like you said, aren't him getting stripped in the post or anything like that. They're on the passes. So I think that the other teams are scouting those backdoor looks and that stuff um, more so. And again, it's hard to to go from that adjustment as they're scouting you as a score to now they're on the back doors. They're on the, you know, the the drop off passes. They're on that stuff. So I think it's just an adjustment that he has to, that he has to make. Obviously, you don't want one of your main facilitators to have eight turnovers. But again, I think that the scouting report is more on him as a passer right now. And I think teams are focusing on that. So as a teammate of his, when you're in the game, right? Because, you know, and he's even said it about himself. Grant's a pretty passionate, emotional guy, which is obviously huge when you're playing well and you're rolling and you're up big. But it also hurts you when you're struggling. And you can see the the vis- visceral reaction. So when you're, you know, in a game with him, right, and you're in the timeout, 
you know, what are like, what are you saying to Grant when he's just committed his seventh, eighth turnover? You know, he knows what he's doing and he's just trying to fix it. Like, is there a way you can bring him down? What are you like, what are you talking with him about, you know, in those huddles? Um, I think Grant and uh, when you have a great player like that, really all you can say is that like, just we trust you because like I said, we're, we're not the team we are without him. Like you can probably when uh, other star players are having bad games and stuff, it's more just about, yo, like you brought us here, like we can keep passing the ball. Uh, it's nothing strategy uh, specific that you really talk about the guys in terms of their mental space, unless it's something you see specifically on the court. For the most part, it's just reassuring and that we still trust you that, you know, we're not going to go away from you because you're having a rough game passing because as you saw at the end of the game when we needed some key buckets, you made them. So I think it's just, you know, reassuring him that, you know, we still trust you. We're still going to give you the ball. Uh, we still trust you to make the right passes. And um, it's just, you just hope that, you know, it works for him. And I think, you know, like I said, obviously he had a bunch of turnovers, but when we, I was one of the things I noticed that we were having trouble generating looks at the end and we passed it to Grant and he scored, made two big plays. So that that's kind of the bookend of that. Obviously you don't want the turnovers, but at the same time you trust him. He stayed with, and he stayed in the game. He stayed, you know, involved and he stayed emotionally there. He was able to make two big plays. So, so to move on here, I think, I think I want to talk about the defense a little bit and we're going to get to Blake's phenomenal game. We have to give him credit, but first I want to talk about the defense. Cause like you guys said, and I know actually Chris kind of talked about in the post game and, and part of that comes from the offensive ruts when you're not getting baskets and then the other team like that can really generate offense for the other team, get out and transition off misses. But, but I really want to go back to defense because again, like, especially when Braden Norris really was just crushing it in the second half from deep it felt like just again right like it comes back to hedging ball screens like there were there were a few where it just felt like blake maybe wasn't hedging too hard or or him and grant were kind of getting caught up who's going under who's going over um and and again it's it's the consistency issues where it's just they can't do it for 40 minutes because they were ball hawking in the first half you know ken palm has his team 61st um in the country in defensive efficiency you know i don't want to say do you buy this defense per se but but how do you feel about this defense? How do you feel about being in a neutral site game in a March, you know, tournament game? Um, like how comfortable do you feel with this defense, um, you know, to show up against a better top 25 opponent for 40 minutes, especially thinking, right. You've got two games coming up against SLU. Not only are those, is that a big team and physical, but Yuri Collins has taken a big step this year. They've got a shooter in Gibson Jimerson this year. Obviously, Jordan Goodwin's Jordan Goodwin, right? So, so you're going to have some big matchups coming up. Can this team D up for 40 minutes, and will they find it? Keyword you said there was 40 minutes, and so far this year we haven't we haven't seen a full 40 minutes. But again, it's early. We still talked about you know there's didn't have a true off season, but against any team in the country, I really can feel confident with what this team does on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, we look tonight, Tyler Burton had three steals. I mean, it's just, it's kind of, it almost seems like it's contagious at this point. Um, and again, we talked about Gilliard, you know, we're kind of keeping track Four more steals tonight. Um, but no, he, like Matt Grace has come in. He's played great defense. Sal's played great defense. So it's not just the starting five that's been stepping up defensively. It's really been everybody that's been coming in. So that's been a, been a really positive sign for me. Again, I would like to see, you know, more than a strong first half and then an okay second half. I'd like to see, you know, like you said, a strong 40 minutes. Yeah, for sure. I I think the first half was as was about as good of, of a defensive pass we, as we have put together since we went back to the man. Um, I've been kind of talking to the guys and, like, even the coach a little bit. I've been urging them. Like, I feel like we should pick up more, like, with Blake and Grant 
I mean, with Blake and Jacob and Tyler especially. And I think in the first half, we really sensed it. Like we sensed yep. that they weren't that confident with the ball. They weren't that strong with the ball. And we were, we were taking out of their offense completely at half court. And I think what, uh, like we talked about, the intensity for the entire game, you like, if you notice in the first half that they have 15 turnovers, you got to keep picking them up. Like Braden obviously had a good game shooting wise, but when he, when Jacob was on him on ball, Blake was on him on ball, he wasn't that comfortable with the ball. So I think, you know, we talk about, like we said, we talked about the ball screen and stuff. I think if we start picking guys up, we have the guys that do it. Obviously, Jacob's one of the best defenders in the country. Blake is a super intense defender. Tyler's athletic. As, as Austin said, he had three steals tonight. So I think the biggest thing for me, I, I want to see our, our guys pick up more, whether it's just some token pressure, man-to-man, -man, like Jacob turning to guys, Blake turning guys, Tyler turning guys. I think we can really take guys out of their offense. Um, and, like, and like you said, like Sal comes in and plays good defense. We have guys who are good defenders. I just think we can extend a little bit more than we have been. Yeah, definitely. And do you think, you know, does does part of that maybe mean Mooney has to kind of be a little bit true to his word with some of these minutes? Because it feels like almost like back to last year where guys like both Sal and Matt, and I guess even to a certain extent, Isaiah Wilson somewhat, but but they string together, you know, two or three good games here, there off the bench. They give you a good 10, 15 minutes, give you some defensive stuff. And and then we just don't see them really. Like, I think Matt only had four minutes tonight. Um, you know, you didn't see a whole lot of Sal tonight. You didn't see any Isaiah Wilson. Um, and, and again, I know like, and I agree with you. You've actually convinced me on the point that depth is a little bit overrated in college basketball, but just, you know, from a defensive you know, energy standpoint, especially when you've got a guy like maybe Grant that's in there that's struggling or or Blake doesn't seem like he's working the screens too hard. Should just for the sake of consistency and keeping the energy up, maybe he should be giving these bench guys consistent minutes game to game just so at least they can understand their role and, and keep the energy consistent? Or do you think it's just game to game and these runs kind of happen? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely a, a place for somebody like Isaiah to come in and give a few minutes. And things like that. I think for the most part, though, the the tricky thing that I think that coach is trying to balance with the picking up full is that Jacob and uh, Blake are playing 35, 40 minutes. So to ask them to be the guys who are going to score a bunch, as well as the guys who are going to be the main guys up front on defense is a big ask. But I think at the same time, they're ready for it. But like you said, Isaiah is obviously a very eager young defender. He's going to be he's going to be willing to go out there and guard. Andre is obviously a good defender. So I think it's just figuring out rotations, figuring out what time, what minutes you can get guys. I think that we're having a difficult time figuring out the backup center position. We don't really know who those minutes should go to. Um, and that, and that's kind of, that's been tricky for I'm sure Matt and Sal. Um, but for the most part, I think there is some value in going to depth and going to the bench just to keep the defensive intensity uh, the way it has been. Yeah. So, so we shouldn't be doom and gloom the whole podcast. Cause again, it was a dub spiders are again in a really great spot looking towards a 10 place to one more game against Hofstra. And we got to talk about Blake Francis. Cause that's a guy that and you both know me personally, man, when he's on, is he fun to watch? But also when he's off, he is like, makes you want to pull your hair out, especially cause we've talked about, right. The style is just so conflicting with Richmond, but man, was he on tonight? I mean, this guy had, uh, what did he have? 27 points tonight, I think. Yeah, 27 yep. points, four of five from deep, um, you know, not really turning the ball over too much. And, and again, you know, four threes, but but starting things by going downhill, really letting the threes come to him. You know, and I asked him about this after, but I think for a guy like that, it's so important for him to string these performances together, to find rhythm, to, to keep it moving. Because again, like Nick, like you always say, right? His biggest thing is playing within himself. And I think when you kind of see him go game to game, game on, game off, it's even if you're having good games, you can't get in that rhythm. 
what does it mean for a guy like that to both from a confidence perspective and also a comfort perspective, put it together in two games and, and be able to be a guy where you give up a big lead. It's a two point game and he can go to the free throw line and, and help you secure a W at the end of the game and, and get you tough buckets. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, like you said, like he just played within himself tonight. And one of the biggest strengths that Blake adds to the team is the ability to make the tough shots. I mean, and he's always willing to take them. I think, um, and with our team in general, we haven't been shooting the ball well, but I think him especially, I think he puts a lot of pressure on every shot. Every shot seems to be the most important shot. And when you're somebody like that, who's we're relying on to take, a, to take and make a lot of shots, you kind of just have to go shot by shot. Every shot's not the most important. You gotta just take it shot by shot, like I said. So I think the biggest thing for him tonight was that, like you said, he got it. He got in the lane early, even when he didn't make it. He was being aggressive. I thought that one of the things that I noticed early in the season was he was settling for a lot of floaters and in between mm-hmm. shots when he's the best when he's getting downhill and attacking. So even when he's missing those layups, I'm fine with that because at least he's showing that he's aggressive and that he's has an aggressive mindset. So I think that was a that was a huge sign, like you said early, that he was taking those drives, getting them downhill, getting in contact, getting to the line, all that stuff, and that's just gonna open up the rest of your game. When you're that talented offensively, all you need to see is a couple shots go in, get a couple drives, get a couple calls, and next thing you know, you're knocking down threes. So just for mm-hmm. him, like you said, it's just about stringing performances together and staying aggressive because sometimes people think that when you're taking a lot of shots, you're being aggressive. But if they're not the shots you normally take, you're not really being aggressive. You're being more tentative. So I think he took the shots that he's good at, like I said, getting to the paint, taking those in-rhythm threes, all that stuff, and that showed. And like I said, a really, really great performance from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm kind of off topic here, but is this your first podcast beer? I've noticed you've been drinking something. Is this my first podcast beer? I'm sure it hasn't been, but it's the first of my memory for sure. I intentionally, because I texted you before the game. Yeah. I sent you a picture. So so this is, for, for the listeners at home, I'm actually home in, in Situate, uh, Massachusetts, my hometown suburb of Boston where I grew up. And so, as many people know, I turned 21 a couple of weeks ago. So I made a made a trip today to our local brewery down the street. Put it up on the camera. So this is Untold Brewing. Brewing. These guys uh-huh. in situate, absolutely fire. It is East by Northwest, Austin. I'm gonna read you the description because it, yeah. I I don't know what hops are. I don't know what it's. Yeah. It's 6.8 percent alcohol. It tastes good. It gets yeah. me drunk. And so I don't know, but yeah. it says. Our brewing roots were planted in the Northwest where we got our first brewery jobs and learned how to make some darn tasty beer. We eventually made our way back East and it's here that untold brewing came to life. This beer is a tribute to our past and present and IPA inspired by the Pacific Northwest with a nod to the East coast. And for malts, it has two row wheat crystal and hops, Columbus, Chinook, Azaka, Mosaic, Simcoe. Does any of that mean anything to you? Because to me, it's nonsense. Um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah no like the types of hops like the wheat and all that stuff don't mean anything to me but i've learned there are certain types of hops that I like simcoe's good mosaic's good um but, you know maybe we should start looking for a sponsorship you know you just kind of read that, that perfectly so now you gotta hit that brewery i think sorry cutting out a little bit i think my connection's bad um we got to find one. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Okay. Now. Yeah. We, we got to find one in Richmond is what we really got to do because there's a lot of breweries in Richmond. So oh, any absolutely. any any Richmond alumni out there, just Spider Basketball fans, if you're listening, we're still – we got some ad reads, but we're still looking for sponsors. So so I know I know, I know know Nikki Flash is a big craft beer guy, so someone hit him up. 
All right. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess a couple more things. Uh, oh, we got, we got a couple of messages. Um, we'll do, we got some text messages, no voicemail. So already kind of touched on this, but I, I got to like get on the voicemail message. I got to tell people to actually leave their names. So anonymous says golden played 30 minutes tonight and grace only played four. Could this be a sign of things to come? Or was this more about the matchup? There have been games this year where golden has played in the mid twenties and grace has been in the teens without trouble being a factor if golden is an ollie guy should he be moving toward playing in the low 30s and we already talked a little bit about it tonight but i think is is this a sign of things to come no i think we've seen over and over again it's very matchup dependent and i think the biggest thing is what's the jump grant made from sophomore year to junior year better rebounder and better defender right and what did he attribute that to he didn't have to play as many minutes in his junior year, right? He was playing like 35 minutes a game as a sophomore around there, maybe less. And being able to play under 30 minutes a game last year gave him a lot more energy on the other end of the court. So I think for him in terms of does he need 30 minutes to be an all-league guy? Absolutely not. I think if anything, that's detrimental to him being an all-league guy. Now, in terms of Matt Grace playing less, is that a sign of things to come, blah, blah, blah? I don't know. Because again, you know, Nick, you talked about it, right? Him and Sal are kind of trying to figure out. They don't really know who the who the backup center is. And honestly, they may roll with that the rest of the year because it could be matchup dependent. Maybe you, even though Matt's been a little bit more physical, you know, if you need defense, if you need a shot blocker, obviously Sal's the guy you're going to go to. If you need a guy that can maybe space the floor a little bit and keep the flow of the offense, maybe Grant's turning the ball over and you need a guy who can pass, Matt's probably going to be your guy. And, and sometimes he plays strong and gets rebounds. So I think it is matchup dependent. I don't know what you guys think on that. Yeah, no, I think so. Um, I think we were really worried about um, – I forgot his name. Crutwig tonight, you know, he was their leading scorer coming in, big guy. Really wanted to focus on, you know, Grant manning him up uh, defensively. So I think that definitely has something to do with it. And I agree with you completely that Grant does not need to play, you know, 30-some minutes a game to be considered all-conference. That's – we don't – we saw, like you said, we saw last year. I'm just kind of repeating everything you said here because it's – I have the exact same thought process as you on that. Yeah. Yep. So, so I think that's that. Um, let's be brief in this last one again, already kind of touched on it. Um, but anonymous, once again, anonymous says, uh, what do you think is the main issue with so many grant golden turnovers? How can the sp- and how can the spiders continue to keep their big leads? Um, so we've already kind of hit on both of these. Let's just skip the grant. We want in depth on that, but Again, you know, with, with with maintaining these leads, do you guys think is there any you know X's and O's approach? Is it a personnel type thing? You know, how do these guys keep that energy up for forty minutes? Yeah, I think the I think sometimes when you have a when you take a big lead in the half, um, it's easy to, to take your foot off the gas and to kind of think that you have the win locked up. And as you play better teams, um, you're not going to be able to do that. Um, and I think one thing that I think we learned from the West Virginia game. But I think the biggest thing is that, like, we have to be able to take a punch better. I think, you know, Vanderbilt, to an extent, they punched back and we handled that. But tonight, we didn't really handle it as well. So I think we, when we get these big leads, we have to expect that the other team is not just going to roll over. And when they make their run, when they go on an 8-0 run, are we able to go on a 4-0 run ourselves to get the lead back to 14? Are we able to um, – when they, when they were on a run, are we able to get put together two, two straight stops? You know, just stuff like that. Because, again, when you have a big lead, it's not necessarily about – pushing it to 25, it's about making sure that it doesn't get under 15. So I think yeah. that's one of the biggest things that we're trying to figure out is, again, how to how to counterpunch. Because, like I said, we're playing teams. Obviously, these guys have pride, but nobody wants to lose by 30. So when a team like that is going to come out and they're down 20, they're obviously going to make their run. And I think we have to be ready for that. And like I said, 
it's not about when they go on an eight or run, we have to go on one back. We have to just be able to put together two stops, maybe get a three and a layup, and then you're then it's back up to a comfortable lead. We're getting we're facing a lot of game pressure in the second half that could be limited if we were able to, like Coach Mooney kind of said after the game, we're able to just make shots and score on offense, and then one or two stops, and the game changes completely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, um, so I think to wrap it up, guys, um, one last thing I want to touch on is I don't know if you guys saw. I got really excited because I thought we were about to get our first Chris Mooney technical of the year. And I think it was on the one where, where Grant got bumped and he thought he was going to pick up the foul and they call him an offensive foul on, I can't remember who it was on the screener, but, um, or maybe extend the forearm, but I don't know if you guys saw Chris, like sprinted over. I mean, he was doing like the full, like wide grip, like about to run into like LeVar ball WWE. Like he was coming up. I mean, he looked like he was chopping the steps. Like he was about to like break down and go low to high. I don't know. Did you guys think he was going to pick up the tech there? I did. I definitely did. I really do think though, we, when we talked to him before the season, really think he's toned it down with the whole no, no fans. Cause man, like that was the perfect opportunity. Had he had the crowd behind him, you know, 7,000 people at the Robin center jackets getting thrown. Yeah. He he's getting teed up a hundred percent. Yeah. I think one, like, like you said, like you can pick up a little bit on it, pick up on a little bit more what he's saying and stuff. So I think that, probably all the coaches are a little bit more cognizant of, of what they're saying out loud to the refs. <laughs> and I'll say this, we played Loyola my junior year in Fort Myers. And that, that coach was also pretty intense. I thought he was going to get one too in the game as well. Both coaches were kind of on the court a little bit more than I, than is usually allowed. So like, I thought we were going to see a couple of texts tonight. So they got, they got lucky. Yep. They, they, they got lucky. And, and so do we, cause we got the win at the end of the day. So Fingers crossed. We had what did we set the over under when we did the when we did the preseason pod with Mooney? Did we say two and a half again this year? I think, I think it was two and a half. Two and a half. Okay. So Chris is looking good at the under for the yeah. second straight year because no, as far as I know, two techs, uh, no, no techs yet uh, on the year. So he's looking good. Spiders are looking good. Six and one chance back at the rankings uh, on Monday. So stay tuned. We got a new episode coming out for y'all next week. Special guest coming on on Monday, national. Uh, we, we don't want to give it away, but big name in national uh, media for college basketball. So keep an eye out for that. Probably going to put it out after the Hofstra game on Tuesday. Uh, so stay tuned, guys. Thank you. And uh, we'll be back next week. Sounds good. good. I done came down and I done came home. 25, I just write the same play. If I wanted wings, I'd hit the strip club.
you feel like you on top of the world if you wanna you jumped in this one yeah you stay the hell on you but that's just the formula you make it there cause on your mother my mother yeah. my city so big it feel like you on top of the world if you want it I'm saying my city so big it feel like you on top of the world if you want it Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.